Continuing this morning, our reflections and contemplations around the middle part of the path, the samatha, samadhi, the gathering, focusing, bringing mindfulness, attention (coughs) into the present, basing that upon the experience of body and breath. This word samatha, the samatha meditation that we've been exploring these last few days means calming, sitting, calming of thought and bodily formation for the sake of accessing an inner sense of quiet, spaciousness, well-being. Last night, Kirisara was talking about the importance of body, or reflecting on the nature of body, connecting to body, receiving the experience of body as an important aspect of this meditative practice. <coughs> I'd like to continue along that line a little this morning. Our relationship to our bodies, or kindliness towards body, the world of form, Often there's a lot of reactivity and lack of connection to form, to body, to being embodied. A lot of resistance, unrealistic demands upon our body. A lot of cultural conditioning, patternings around our relationship to our bodies, which don't always amount to much um, sensitivity or care or kindness. So in this meditation of cultivating these factors of attention, directing the mind, receiving, we've been doing that a lot with just this experience of body. What is that experience like? What is it like to really receive the feeling of the rhythms of the body, sensations within the body? the feeling terms of the body, the form of the body. I know for myself this is something that does feel healing, does feel soothing, doesn't always feel easy. Sometimes coming to the body there is discomfort, tightness, there's energetic blocks, there's tiredness, and these uh, sensations aren't always easy to, to be with. One rather just try to distract the mind, <coughs> or one just gets bored. One's more fascinated with the realm of thought, speculation, fantasy. You become very addicted often to the thinking realm as, as the place where we hang out in the conceptual realm. There's discomfort in the body and we tend to go into a, a place of memory or fantasy, speculation. 
And then when we run out of steam there, then we can get very dull. We're just finding ourselves disconnecting by becoming a bit dull, sleepy. So learning to sensitize our attention in places where we usually disconnect, the places where we usually move away, being able to stay there a little bit longer, the places where we usually go numb. Learning to maybe explore experience of body. Perhaps allowing our attention to linger in the areas of the body that we're not used to really paying much attention to. That feel a bit dead, or wooden, or tight. Allowing the breath energy to move through the whole, all the aspects, all the parts, all the cells of the body. So breathing in, allowing the breath energy to ripple through allowing your attention to mix with the breath energy so the mind gradually becomes introduced in a deeper way to the experience of form being informed of the experience of body allowing the mind to be interested gentle, kind, receptive to the experience of body Looking at the body not so much <coughs> as our personal possession. In the Satipatthana Sutta, there's foundations of mindfulness, there's ways of contemplating body that help to just see it in a different light. There's so much sense of self, of identity around how our body looks. And usually the way the body looks is never quite how we'd like it to look. For most of us we've spent um, a good parts of our lifetime being averse to the way our body is. It's never quite the form or the shape. Certainly it's never the shape that's projected in our, in, in our culture as an ideal body. It's never quite radiant enough or thin enough or tall enough or small enough or young enough perfect enough. We have these idealized images projected um, consistently in the world around us about how the body should be, how it should look. And either unconsciously or consciously we project that into our own form and it's quite violent, something quite violent and unkind about that. One of the joys <coughs> I've had in South Africa going to game parks, these massive pieces of land that stretch for days, you can drive through them for days and you don't come to the end, just given over to the animal kingdom in its, in its natural habitat. And you see these animals just moving very naturally sleeping, moving, living according to their natural way. 
There's something, they're very comfortable in their bodies. I haven't seen a hippo worried about going on a diet. (laughs) Or a giraffe thinking it needs a facelift. It's aging a bit. And yet, these bodies, in a way that we have, are animal bodies. It's not a pejorative way of looking, but they belong to the realm of nature. And we have an enormous difficulty of just being able to come to terms with the natural flow and evolution and unfolding of our bodies. Start to get anxious when the wrinkles appear, first grey hairs, weakening, body becoming weaker, more weak when we at the age. And again in our culture is an enormous neurosis around aging. Something it's almost been turned into something unnatural. Try and prevent it as much as you can. We're just bringing these up, these powerful uh, cultural conditioning that we have, all of us have, and have internalized sometimes quite deeply. Some of it affects less. But in some way or another, there's a very powerful way that we are conditioned in relationship to our body, and in ways that actually dislocate us from a, a more real or immediate or caring, rela- honest relationship. So in the Satipatthana Sutta, we encourage to perhaps lessen this tendency to create the sense, such a strong sense of self-image around the form of the body. This is who I am. When someone asks for a picture of us, we don't, we tend to send a picture of our face. We don't send a picture of our elbow or our foot and say, this is who I am. (laughs) There's an enormous sense of self just around the facial features. There often is a lot of tension and holding in our face, like a mask. When we sit, we can feel that sometimes, the tightness in the jaw, in the forehead, around the eyes and the mouth. Using this meditation to gently begin to release, soften places where we hold this image this inner image, using the meditation to allow the body to be as it is, to soften around holding it in a state of tension, allow it to sag, allow the belly to sag. One of the lovely things about being a Buddhist nun is that you shave your head and put a robe on. And the body, in a way, is quite free within the robe. I didn't say that one was free. But I noticed that going into, when I left the robe and started to put on lay clothes, all the old, all my old conditioning arising from teenage years. And when the conditioning doesn't go, it just gets a bit submerged. Yeah. And uh, realizing the clothes that one wears, and, uh, and again, how clothes are made for certain body types, these idealized types. 
realizing how one tends to try and push and squeeze the body into sort of clothes. And gradually come to terms with the fact, well actually, my body doesn't want to go into this size, it needs the next size up. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that's okay. I was just reading um, Ramdas's book, Still Here, which I just managed to catch up with recently. And he's talking about the struggle he had through his life with his body image because he always felt too fat. And then one day he was um, went to a sauna, hot tub, uh, with people um, from a similar racial stock of, uh, as he was, Eastern European. He's American, come from Eastern Europe. And when everyone took their clothes off and got into the hot tub, he realised, well, oh, they, they all look like me. They all got this kind of rather stocky form. And he had a moment of insight. It's just his genetic inheritance, which is what his body is like. Not like these Hollywood images projected on the screen. Coming to terms, allowing the space of the retreat, a little free and independent from the conditioning that we experience every day around us. Allowing just to explore and to relax around some of the tightness, the lack of kindness that we hold in relationship to our body. Allowing ourselves to really feel the body, to listen to it. Kuan Yin is listening, listening to the sound, but also listening to the inner sound, the shape, the feeling tone, the sensation, the experience of our body as it's sitting here, as it's walking, as it's eating, as it's laying down, as it's moving through all the different motions of the day. Seeing the body, not just on the external level, where there's enormous reactivity, attraction, repulsion, like, dislike, judgment, We're also looking more subtly, more deeply, beneath the skin. We're all sitting here with skeletons. We don't often pile up with skeletons. Say whether we like them or not, they're all pretty much the same. Maybe slightly different shapes and sizes, heights. But also one can look at the body not just as uh, attractive or unattractive, repelled or, or, or not, also looking more at the internal organs. The body contains bone. You have to feel the bone, the solidity of the body. And we feel the, the spine, the skull, the pelvis, the leg, bone, shin, bones in our finger. You can feel the internal organs, the softness, the lungs as they expand and contract. The heart, maybe you can feel the heart beating. We don't often give credit to 
spend a lot of attention on our hair or our face, so we don't often give credit or much attention to the heart. Pumping the blood. Feeling the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the spleen, the intestine, stomach, brain. Being able to, with our attention, receive this experience of the internal organs, flesh, read the warmth within the body, feeling the body as the solidity of the bone and then the warmth, warmth of the flesh, the liquidity of the blood flowing, vacuous spaces within the body our digestive juices heat of the digestive juices the air elements, the breath, the wind and we have to experience and look at these adjusting perceptions in, in a way that's skillful, in a way that unlocks us from a rigid fixation in relationship to the sense of how we create a sense of self and identity around form how we limit so using the attention we can explore more subtly the internal experience of body we can contemplate body also as, as that which is impermanent which ultimately Although it's our temple now, it follows the, its own laws, it's an ultimate teacher, really. We can't always control that the body maybe feels tired or sick, becomes unwell. People often have to <coughs> accommodate with ME and these kinds of energy. Um, experience, energetic experience, loss of energy, tiredness, some kinds of illnesses, having to accommodate that, to, to allow that into our lives, to, to create the kind of space and attention and caring that these things need. Rather than necessarily creating such a strong sense of self from someone that's sick or I'm bad because I'm sick or something's wrong because I'm sick or it shouldn't be here and all of these things are natural enough to feel but also we can say that ultimately this is part of nature this body doesn't belong to us really we have to take care we do everything we can to take care to support but we can't control the body ultimately it will go its own way it will age and when it comes uh, it becomes old enough, or when it's, whenever it's uh, time, body will will die. The breath element will subside. Elements will go back into their own nature, and the body will subside, decay, and the, then we can also contemplate this body in that form, the breakdown of the body.
in the traditional contemplation of this one, the Buddha encourages to see the body in the charnel ground. He's getting very hung up about whether we like the form of the body or not, whether it, we look good or not, whether we feel comfortable or not. We can just uh, we feel very, very fixated and stuck. And actually, this, this meditation, rather than something being something that's um, morbid or depressing, it's a realistic meditation to just help loosen and open, open us, soften us. Seeing this body devoid of life force, going back to the elements, the bones, flesh, deteriorating, going back to the earth back to ashes, back to the wind. Contemplate body, breath, you also receive feeling or vedana, feeling, experience of feeling, experience of sensation. And there's an enormous reactivity and identity around our feelings, sensations. And judgment, particularly if it's a feeling that we experience as negative, feeling confused or disorientated or lost, not sure, uncomfortable sensation, dullness. Feeling heavy, not very bright, very light. Then we attach to that feeling the sense of self, the sense of I'm failing or I'm not I'm not good or this is not good. I'm not in a good state. We feel joyful, elevated, peaceful, happy, strong. It's wonderful to feel that. We also can have a lot of identity around that, want it that to stay, want ourselves to always be in that kind of a state. I always want to be bright, radiant, strong, confident. Who doesn't? I'd love to always be like that. Every day when I wake up in the morning, I'd love to just know exactly what I'm doing, where I'm going. No courage, faith. I don't want to feel depressed, lost, confused. But feelings also sensation is also part of the flow of, net, of the natural world. We can't always control what we feel. But what we can do is look at our tendency to judge, to react, to, uh, to, to own, to claim, to push away. 
Then it's the concentration of the four foundations, also learning to receive feeling within body, sensation, just as it is. Can we do that? Explore that. In psychological work, therapeutic work, the work around the personal. Often there's a, an emphasis when a particular feeling tone, experience comes up, that we might track that or we might enter that and connect it with our, our story or our wound or our pathology. What uh, feeling is sadness? Maybe we explore that in that way, which has its place and is very valid and important. We're looking at, well, what's the story? Where does this come from, maybe? Strong sense of me as, as that experience or that feeling. And necessary sometimes to own that, to acknowledge that, to enter into that, enter into the, the content, the story, even the drama. In the meditative work, uh, a, there can be, and the meditative work can also be used to, to, in that way, which is very valid, but it also, we can also take a slightly different leaning to interface the personal and the universal, but also just looking when we experience a feeling, sensation, strong emotion, in the Satipatthana, there's encouragement rather than necessarily going so much into the storyline of that, why that's there, where did it emerge from. It's something that I, you know, would I like it or don't. Just being able to notice, is this pleasant? Is this unpleasant? What's my relationship to it in this moment? And again, it's just creating a little more ability to see the context or the construct, the feeling, rather than the content. So being so mesmerized or drawn into the content, it's generating a strong sense of self in a particular kind of way. Both of these I feel are valid, both different ways of looking, experience of you know, Vedana. So this morning as we're exploring this meditative work of Satipatthana, just seeing if we can explore the nature of feeling, sensation, how often it's very powerful for us. We get drawn in a very powerful way. Something we like, we get elated. And we attach, we want it to last, we want it to stay, being very peaceful in this meditation, and then we wake up in the afternoon after a nap and we feel the opposite, and then we get very deflated. We judge it, it's gone wrong, meditation is failing. Rather maybe adjusting our attitude and saying, well, this is a pleasant feeling, peaceful. And exploring what's that relationship, can we explore the tendency to want to own that territory, 
pleasant sensation, pleasant feeling, feeling light. And then the tendency when the opposite appears, feeling dull, heavy, lost, confused, reversed. Can we just say this is uh, this is unpleasant feeling? Can then the unpleasant feeling? Can we notice where the sensation of that feeling originates in the body somewhere? Maybe, maybe we can't. Maybe we can. But rather than getting uh, judging judging ourselves because of that experience and trying to push that away, just knowing this is unpleasant feeling. Pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, neutral. Sometimes we don't quite know what we're feeling, whether it's, even if we would give it that uh, value on it, pleasant or unpleasant, just this sensation, just this feeling. Can we explore the nature of feeling as it is? Sometimes it appears in not a, a particular shape or colour or tone. Just the nature of feeling. Can we receive that in our field of attention, of awareness, directing the attention to feeling within the body, in the gut maybe, what what feeling is there, a lot of sensation often in front of the body. Directing attention and then receiving, what is this experience of feeling? Can we just notice? Can we be with it? Can we breathe with it? Breathe into it? Can we see feeling in the same way we might see the weather, something changing, sunny, cloudy, rainy, stormy, bright, shadowy? This feeling, this body sensation, breath, all happening within awareness, within presence, within this moment. This last second um, jhana factors that Kitifara was mentioning last night, the Takarita, which do the work for us. <coughs> it's the chara, the perceptive aspect. Very important to, to develop. Often, we, again, we live in a culture where the first aspect is often very well developed. We tucker, being able to direct, being able to um, go somewhere, being able to achieve something. 
just recently I was at a large Buddhist teachers conference in San Francisco and I contemplated a lot the use of language and how we communicate things and how Buddhism is communicated and just how we generally the dominant method or way of communication in our culture and we came to um, one of the conversations um, around the nature of insight and what people felt what the goal of the path was and so on and I noticed that um, mostly the men, well all, only the men <laughs> the men in the room spoke in very articulate and clear and precise ways and I noticed that the women were left a little stranded and so I came into, we had an inner circle and talked about the way that sometimes um, it's not necessarily so coarse as men and women because for some men their experience is more innately feminine and vice versa I've seen some very masculine orientated women and you know the other way but the way the feminine principle tends to operate is that it it doesn't tend to come to a point want to communicate um, a strong idea in a certain way but is my experience was like stimulating and gathering <coughs> information and what was being said in a more open way and so as that was happening it would tend to affect what I wanted to say so holding a particular point or, or, or view wasn't so easy because it kept sort of shifting <laughs> and it would take longer basically the rhythm and the timing of it was a, a, it was a longer and slower process when I mentioned this, uh, a lot of women came up and said, yeah, that's, that's how I experience it, that, that I'm not so sharp, so quick to be able to articulate a point. Um, and yet, <clears throat> because one articulates in a different way, one can feel undervalued or invisible, more invisible, it's a more invisible um, communication. So anyway, it got me to thinking a lot about communication in the way that the different, the different ways that we see the world and the way the world view is formed by a dominant particular view um, and definitely in our culture the masculine principle has been the dominant way of, of mode of being and so when we come to meditation often people approach it with that kind of um, approach it can be very willful very directed very goal orientated and that can be helpful but when it's extreme it tends to lead to a lot of tightness and a closing off like a closing down um, some of the worst meditators that people are really keen on their samadhi they become very irritable with <laughs> dealing with the world around them or dealing with things that interrupt that this ability to you know in conversation in our ways of operating to, to feel that the most important thing is to put something over, to be able to direct, to be able to, 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 um, to have a, a sense of uh, where to go, what to say. It's more threatening to us to be um, receptive, to be open, and to perhaps not have anything so immediately to respond with or particularly have a strong view about where we might be going or a goal.
a very goal-orientated, ambitious kind of society. We don't often take time to pause and reflect and say, well, how is this all working? Where is this going? Is this in harmony, in tune? So often when we come to our meditation, we have this dominant way of approaching our relationship to our body and mind. Body and mind, something that we haven't really taken the time to create a relationship with, and we perhaps impose on it a willfulness, a desire to control it in a certain way, a lack of patience, an intolerance, a demand, a demand that it give us something that it can't give us. And so our meditative experience is full. So this vichara element is something that for many of us it's important to hone up, to, to actually this listening in, just to receiving, just being able to be open and take the patience rather than demanding the body and mind be a certain way, peaceful, calm, clear, perhaps giving yourself a whole meditation period just to listen, how is the body and mind, how is the feeling nature? what is present here, can we receive our experience as it is, without that overlay of demand. But of course both of these qualities need to ultimately be in balance. For some of us we're so into the receptive mode that we, we, we just get very lost and very confused very easily. Um, it's very hard for us to direct, it's very hard for us to make decisions. And we tend to sort of float around in life. We want someone else to decide for us, to direct us, to, to take the risk. So we need to know where our imbalance is, and maybe in our more subtle practice of bringing attention and relationship to body, breath, feeling, we can explore where is my imbalance? Am I so receptive, so open, so... Uh, so with things that I actually just land up drifting all over the place, no anchor, have no goals, and maybe then it might be useful to to have a give ourselves a little goal. Okay, I'm going to be with the next five breaths. You can count them, just to, to hone up that capacity to hold attention in a particular way, to direct attention in a particular way. And for others, if we're so directed, so ambitious, so willful, so controlling, so wanting something that's not here, pushing, creating us a headache, tension, then maybe we need to do the opposite. We need to just remind ourselves to let go, to let be, to breathe out, focus more on the out-breath, allow the attention to sweep through the body, to the fingertips, reminding ourselves there's nowhere to go, that kind of inner Dharma talk. <laughs> just to encourage ourselves to keep relaxing in this space, in this moment. So we can get a Feeling, see if you get a feeling of these two, the yin and the yang, these two different movements that we can, uh, effort, subtle effort of letting go, being receptive, subtle effort of holding attention, see if we can find the place where they balance. There's the being here with the present breath, body, sensation, feeling, 
holding attention here, sustaining attention, and then there's the receiving, adjusting maybe our effort to something that's more relaxed, more soft, more open, or something that's a little more directed. So today's practice <coughs> to encourage us to continue keeping very simple, cultivating this samatha, calming samadhi, using what's always here for us, the body, the breath, feeling, allowing that to be the field of our exploration, the field of our attention, bringing that into presence, bringing that into the, to our awareness little by little, moment by moment, sustaining that, keeping it very momentary, simple practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.